With Apple's Siri, Amazon's Alexa, and Google Home, everyone, it seems, is trying to jump on the voice-controlled bandwagon. Not to be left behind, Adobe is hoping to create a voice-controlled solution of their own. Voice control for editing your photos, that is. We'll give you the details. Plus, today I'll take some time to cover the topic of brand touch points. What are they and how they can help you ensure you employ the correct ones for your brand strategy. All this and more on The Rightly Designed Show. No man who cares about originality will ever be original. It's the man who's only thinking about doing a good job or telling the truth who becomes really original and doesn't notice. You're listening to the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Designed Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas and this is the Rightly Designed Show. Feel free to call 888-727-1496. Again, that's 888-727-1496 if you would like to call in and ask a question for the program. So an interesting story that came out recently in the creative block, uh, which talked about a little bit, uh, talked a little bit about a new service or a new feature that Adobe wants to begin integrating into a number of their design or photo manipulation apps. So this is specifically for tablets. I don't think at this point in time that they are planning on creating this in some of their more advanced desktop software. So like, for example, a lot of designers will use Adobe Photoshop, you know, Illustrator, InDesign, things like that to create a lot of their more complex, you know, graphic design projects. This is more for, from what I can tell, this is more for some of the tablets out there. So I think that's for Android and, the, and uh, for iOS as well. Uh, but what they've done is quite interesting in a lot of different ways. And they've, they've integrated or they're currently integrating the ability for people to actually edit their photos with their voice. So it's a very interesting concept. So anything from cropping photos to rotating photos to doing a lot of basic editing that a lot of people use their tablets for when it comes to editing photos, they're trying to incorporate that entire workflow into something that you can do completely with your voice. So I have a little bit of skepticism only because I do work with photos and images and graphics on a regular basis. And I know the amount of kind of hands you, the use of your hands is quite important when it comes to manipulating photos. So I don't know, I'll probably end up giving it a try and just testing it out to see if it's something that's actually feasible, at least for just basic image editing. I would never expect it to be able to overtake the design industry, but it is interesting to see them trying to dive into this into this particular technology. You see a lot of the different tech giants right now going this direction. Uh, but Adobe did actually cut a short commercial. And so it's got a guy who's actually using the software. So obviously I can't show you the video because we're over audio, but I can let you, I can uh, actually play the audio so you can get a little bit of an idea about how this is supposed to work. So here's that. How can I help you? I'd like to reframe this picture. Cropping. Make it square. One-to-one -one aspect. Now flip it sideways. Flip horizontally. No, go back. Undo. I like it. Committing changes. Post to Facebook. Goodbye. Goodbye. 
Okay, so that gives you a pretty good idea of the way that this uh, this voice-activated feature is supposed to integrate with the app itself. Again, obviously you can't see the video, uh, but if you go to rightlydesignedshow.com slash 41, I'll leave uh, the video itself on the show notes for today. So if you'd like to actually see the video and see it in use, uh, you can see that there. But that is, uh, it is interesting to see this trend. And it's, that's one of the things that I've, notice with a lot of these larger companies is that one will kind of break through into a new industry and the others will just kind of follow suit. It's almost as though they feel compelled as though they have to. Because the first time I saw this, again, as a designer who works with Photoshop regularly, and the first time I saw this, I just kind of thought to myself, this doesn't really look like it's actually solving a problem. It looks more like it's just kind of using your voice for the fun of it or just to do it for the novelty of using your voice. Whereas, you know, it would probably be easier just to actually tap a button that says crop or, you know, use your fingers as we're, you know, used to doing. Now, I understand for other things, if you're like trying to, you know, jot down a grocery list real quick and you don't have your hands available, then I understand the voice activation and that sort of thing. So, uh, that was kind of my first initial reaction. Again, it could be wrong. This could revolutionize the way that photos are, are, are you know, edited and changed and shared on social media. But my, first, my initial reaction was that it seems a little bit just kind of uh, another instance of trend following. It all kind of started with Apple's Siri. That was kind of the first to kick off this whole automated, your kind of virtual assistant, so to speak, who's all voice activated. Now we've got Apple's Siri, we've got Amazon's Alexa, and we have Google Home. So it just kind of seems like everybody is going this direction. From what I've heard, and I would be really interested, if, if you're listening and you have an Amazon Alexa or you have a Google Home, I'd be really interested to hear from you just uh, the level of quality that you have actually experienced with that device. More, I'm more curious than anything else. Just from the little bit I've heard from Siri and from Amazon's Alexa and from Google Home, Google Home seems to be the most advanced out of all of them. So I know I use Siri pretty regularly, and for me it doesn't work very well. Half the time it doesn't really seem to know what I'm talking about. I've kind of heard the same or, or seen the same from Amazon's Alexa. Uh, but a lot of the people who are using Google Home seem to say it's, it's pretty advanced in what it's able to understand and what it's able to address. So interesting to see those. That's just kind of a side note. As far as Adobe goes... Uh, it seems it's an interesting technology. It's an interesting concept in terms of working it into a graphical environment. But again, as from a design perspective, from what I can tell, it seems like a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a stretch uh, with the technology actually solving a real problem. But today's main topic that I wanted to take some time talking about today was brand touch points. So touch points are essential to building any brand. And I've used the term touch points quite a bit in the past, and I thought it would be worthwhile actually taking a little bit of time to explain what touch points are in some detail because they are very important to an overall brand strategy. But before I do that, I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about an assessment that I have available over at Rightly Designed. So this is on the topic of brand building. So if you currently have a brand and you're just in a, so whether you're an independent, per, you know, just an independent professional and you're building a professional, you know, a personal professional brand, or if you are running a small team or a corporate brand, whatever type of brand you're trying to build and you've been working on, uh, brand building is at the center. It's at the heart of any successful platform. So I put together this 
uh, this custom built, this custom created brand assessment with some key components of what makes an effective brand. So it's created in such a way as to give you a good idea as to where your brand currently stands and possibly some ways that you can improve. So you can find that over at rightlydesigned.com assessment. And again, at the end of it, I've actually got a free PDF with a number of resources, a number of tips that you can take away to begin implementing in your brand building efforts uh, today. So again, that useful resource is there for you. And as always, I'm always happy to hear your thoughts and feedback in terms of, you know, if you have any questions or if you have uh, any information that would help you build a better brand, uh, you know, feel free to let me know. Again, you can contact me on the site or you can call that number that I mentioned previously. If you don't have a brand already, but you're planning on building one, you're also more than welcome just to jump in there and snag the PDF itself. You don't have to go through the assessment if you don't want to. And you can find that at rightlydesigned.com slash brand dash tips. So that's brand tips. Again, rightlydesigned.com slash brand dash tips. Uh, if you'd like to take the assessment, again, the URL for that is rightlydesigned.com slash assessment. Have a question for the show? Feel free to visit rightlydesigned.com slash question or call 888-727-1496. Okay, so today's main topic is brand touch points. So again, you may have heard me actually mention brand touch points in the past in various different contexts. What a brand touchpoint is, in essence, is a place in which, or an item in which, customers interact with your brand. So this is going to be things like a website or business cards or collateral, a number of which I'm going to go through here in a moment, uh, you know, in, in a specific examples. But it's just a, a way or it's a thing or it's a device in which your customers will interact with your brand. And so when you're forming an overall brand strategy, it's really important that the look and feel and the voice and all the things and all the elements that comprise these specific brand touch points uh, work in unison with your brand's essence and your brand's personality and the promise that you're going to be making to these individual customers. And this applies just as much to prospective customers, so people that you have never reached, to, uh, reached before or people who have never bought from you. And it also applies equally to people who have bought from you, from people who are already customers and clients and continue utilizing your various brand touch points. For example, if you had a website uh, and it's on there, it's just a place for people to be able to interact with you regularly, whether through a blog or a podcast or videos or something else. Or if you built something like a membership site, that is for them a brand touch point. And the way that that's built and designed is going to be uh, you know, that brand touch point is going to be the, the way that they are interacting with your brand. So the first one is, in fact, a website, the first one I'll, I'll mention. And there's a quote by a marketing consultant by the name of Lisa Rydell. And she said, everyone needs food, shelter, love, and a website. And when that comes to when it comes to building a brand, that's pretty much right. There's a lot of different brand touch points I'm going to be covering today. And there are, there, you know, not many of them are required if you're going to be running, you know, building a brand, but a website in today's day and age is pretty much required. 
it's very rare that you don't absolutely need a website or it's very rare where at least the website would help, right? So uh, base one, the very absolute first thing that pretty much everybody needs is a website. So I've gone into some detail in previous episodes before of what will make an effective website. So I'm not going to go into too much detail about that. But a few things I will mention is that when you are building your website, uh, when you're looking at your website from a brand touchpoint perspective, it is important to keep in mind all the things that, again, comprise the entirety of your brand. So again, things I mentioned previously, things like your brand essence, the very core and the heart of what your brand is and what it stands for, those type of things need to be reflected throughout your website. And I'm not just talking about the look and feel of it or the logo design in the top left-hand corner. I'm also talking about the voice, uh, the voice in which copy is written, the voice in which blog posts are written, the topics that are chosen for blog posts and podcasts and content and all those type of things. All of the different elements on your website that people interact with should reflect your core essence and values and personality. So that's really important when it comes to pretty much any brand touchpoint, but especially in a website, because a website is so interactive in nature. In today's day and age, most people don't just go to a website to just read a story, right? Not everybody goes to a blog just for the purpose of reading that blog. Sometimes they want to leave a comment. Sometimes they want to fill out a form. Sometimes they want to purchase a product. Sometimes they want to join a course. Uh, sometimes they even want to read your social media feed if that's something that is available to them through your website. So a website is kind of your master touch point. It's the base. It's what you could kind of consider it is your home base. It's the place where everything starts, the place where everything resides. So again, as I mentioned previously, this can change based upon the type of brand you're building. If you're building a brick and mortar, let's say you're, you're running a deli or you know a brick and mortar shop or something like that, it maybe then at that point in time, your website is a little bit secondary to the brick and mortar location. But it's still very much necessary and it needs to reflect the heart, needs to reflect the overall brand and the overall experience that people are going to expect uh, from your brand. So again, the website by far is the most important aspect of your brand touch points. Again, because it's going to be kind of a culmination of all the other brand touch points that we'll be exploring. Not all of them, but many of them will take root in your website and on your online presence. So especially if you if you are an uh, if you're an author, if you're a speaker, if you're a coach or a consultant and a lot of your business takes place on the web or even via social media, again, you always have to have a place that is brand centric that you point people back to. So for example, a lot of people will write on a website or on a service called Medium. So that's one way that they'll produce uh, you know, content that's useful for their audience and share that. Other people will share a lot of things on Facebook. You can write full posts on Facebook. And some people will just rely upon like tweets on Twitter or share videos on YouTube or Vimeo um, or even share podcasts on SoundCloud, SoundCloud or a number of all these different services. So those are a lot of different external services on which a lot of people can start to create a, a presence for their brand, a, a place where their brand is, you know, something that uh, customers or prospects or clients or your audience can interact with you. But the website itself, I would not, let me take a, back, uh, a step back. That's not something that would be considered 
per se a touch point of your brand because it's not something that you own. It's not something that you control. YouTube controls YouTube, right? Twitter controls Twitter. Facebook controls Facebook. Your website is something that you control, you design, and something that is crafted to fit the particular needs that your customers have. So again, all of those things may play a role in your overall brand strategy, but again, your website is the home base. It's the place where you start. It's the place where uh, your brand, again, kind of takes root. Okay, so that's the website. Website is one type of brand uh, identity as well as uh, a brand touchpoint. Another is correspondence. So correspondence is, can be done in a number of different ways. Now, for most people, this is going to be email. So there's not a whole lot of design that would go into an email. Sometimes, you know, you might have your logo in the footer or something like that. But it's still important, even for email, to incorporate uh, elements of your brand into it. So this could be something as simple as ensuring that in your footer or in the signature of the emails that you are writing, you have something that ties people back or solidifies your brand. So what, what do I mean by that? That could be some really simple things. Uh, like a link to your website uh, that could be links to your about page or a resources page or your blog or the goal here isn't necessarily to just throw a whole mess of links into the footer of your um, into the footer of your email or into the signature of your email. The goal is to help the people who you're emailing uh, have you know have solutions to the problems that they may have that are relevant to them. So for example, when I send emails, sometimes I've got, you know, links to my podcast and to my personal social media and stuff like that. But I've also got little tools in there that makes it easier for them to interact with me. I've got a place where they can upload a file, a large file that they can send to me so they don't have to worry about filling their own email inbox up with heavy attachments, right? So that's just a little way that you can work into your correspondence, something that makes it a little bit easier on the people working with you. So for example, common questions that I get or common resources that people are looking for, I put those as links in the footer of my email. Again, not to spam someone or to try to you know, push them to sign up for my newsletter or something like that or to serve myself. The goal instead is to use that aspect of communication to help them and in the process help build my brand. So that's one way that you can begin working into your something as simple as email. You can use that brand touchpoint, which is exactly what it is, as a way to help serve your customers, clients, and your audience, as well as to build and further establish that brand. So beyond email, email again is going to be the most common, but still around today is the concept of paper. So if you are ever doing something a little bit more formal, so if you're writing a letter, you'd be surprised at the impact it can have on actually mailing someone a piece of paper. Uh, it used to be, you know, 10 years ago, you were excited to get an email and you weren't so excited about the piles of mail, physical mail that you receive. Well, nowadays it's kind of flipped. You receive a huge pile of email and you're probably a little bit more excited about the handwritten letter you get because you don't get as many of them in today's day and age. Everything is text. Everything is emails. But a handwritten or even a typed letter that's on a piece of letterhead can have a significant value attached to it. So even if that's something as simple as saying thank you to a client you work with or uh, saying thank you to a new customer or just sending someone, you know, anything, uh, whether it's, you know, I just want to, uh, you know, wish, wish you the best in your business ventures or, you know, for whatever occasion the situation might hold, 
letterhead and envelopes are actually a great uh, way that you can create uh, a brand touch point that serves a unique purpose. So again, this is something that ties in a little bit more to your brand identity. And again, brand identity is a topic I'll probably cover in its, uh, you know, on its own in a separate episode. But the overall style, the personality, and the look and feel of your logo design and your brand identity standards can be represented in something like a letterhead really well. doesn't necessarily have to be like, uh, you know, your logo straight in the center and then like just text below it. It can be, but letterhead design can get really, really fancy. There's some that, you know, people watermark their logo and they do huge colorful designs. And there's a lot that you can do from the design aspect of creating incredibly compelling and interesting letterhead designs. But from this perspective of building your brand and working in an extra t- uh, brand touch point, Letterhead and actual physical correspondence can have a really big impact. It takes a little bit of time and very little cost, but it can have a big impact on the people that you're working with and to establish, again, a little bit more of that uh, brand uh, loyalty that is so important when it comes to building an effective and strong brand. Okay, and something that kind of goes along really well with letterhead or with correspondence is a business card. Now, in today's day and age, again, similar to the concept of letterhead, the business card might seem a little bit quaint. It might seem like a little bit dated. Who hands out business cards? You know, just give me your Twitter username, right? But a business card, in a similar way, is a great way to be able to actually hand someone something physical, something in their hand that they, that sits in their pocket or in their wallet or purse or whatever, wherever they might carry this. It is there right in front of their face, something that reminds them that you exist. And uh, there's a lot of different things that you can actually do with business cards these days in terms of the way that they're printed and designed. You can do foil, you can do rounded corners, you can even do metal or square or round business cards. I've seen a number of business cards that have been created and handed out at conferences and trade shows that are round and they're specifically designed uh, so that they'll be used as coasters. They're almost kind of a foamy cardboard type material and people use them as coasters and they carry them around, especially if you happen to have a round logo, then it works really well. But there's a lot of different creative ways that people are still using business cards today. So we, uh, I think a lot of times we, we tend to lean towards the digital option whenever it's possible, but especially today when digital solutions to problems are so prominent and so many people are creating blogs and building email lists and all the things that technically we should be doing, something as simple as a well-designed business card can actually have quite an impact. Um, No matter how simple or how complex the actual printing of that business card is, it's a brand touch point that can actually have a pretty big impact. So especially if you go to conferences, if you're meeting one-on-one with clients or prospects, at that point in time, a business card is a must. So one of the things that I've actually done on my own business card, and I've done on a number of clients' business cards in the past, is if you have a very, if it's very important to you that people, or it's very important to establishing your brand and for helping to serve the people who you're actually giving that business card to, uh, one of the things that you can actually do, which they're still around, you can actually embed QR codes. So QR codes are a little bit dated, but they still do get used a fair amount. And a QR code is just a simple barcode-like 
symbol that you can actually embed on physical pieces of paper or something like a business card that people can st- they can actually scan with their smartphone and then visit a page on your website. So for example, on my business card or on some of the different uh, other brand collateral that I've created in the past, I make links specific to whatever that context is. So for example, my we- my website, you know, is a QR code that's embedded on my uh, on my actual business card. In the past, I've done some printed materials and some catalog or, you know, more brochure type elements. And on those, I put links to like my portfolio or things that are more relevant to that specific piece. So again, business cards, similar to the concept of creating letterheads, can be a great way to help unify your brand, your brand um, identity across these different touch points. So on the topic of brochures, the next one I was going to mention is brand collateral. So brand collateral is fairly vague in its in its meaning, but a lot of some common brand collateral would be like a brochure. It'd be a catalog, a, a rack card, uh, door hangers, things like that. Extra little things that can help serve a specific purpose. So for example, a brochure, you know, it could be something that you actually hand out again at a trade show or at a conference or someplace where you're actually meeting face to face with people. A brochure, again, could just be a trifold or something that folds, you know, four times so that you're able to lay out all the different things that you do uh, in an easy to read and consume format that somebody can just take with them. See, the thing is with, you know, it's easy for, you know, for us to want to lean towards and I'll kind of keep coming back to this point just because I've just seen it work so many times. But it's easy to think in today's digital digital age, I'm just going to point them to this page of my website. And as I mentioned previously, I'll still point people to my website or still, you know, design things for clients that point people back to their website. But an actual physical piece of paper is something, again, if it's carry, if they're carrying it around with them, if it's before their face, it's something that they're a lot more likely to remember and take action on. So some, uh, some, exa- some other examples of brand collateral. Uh, again, we had the brochure. You can do catalogs, uh, even posters, rack cards, little visual elements that help tie together your brand identity. Uh, again, the, the personality, the characteristics, the essence, and the promise that your brand encompasses, uh, brand collateral is a great way to do that. So, for example, if you ever go into a Starbucks, a Starbucks is a great example of a company that has a lot of brand collateral. So you'll go through and a lot of these places they will have different posters, uh, the posters on the wall that include their logo and different sayings and different things that tie into their brand essence and the overall Starbucks experience. So a lot of these different companies will find creative ways to create collateral that just not only reminds people of the brand itself, but also ties together the overall customer experience uh, with these different design elements. Another one is that's going to be a little bit more specific to a storefront or a, you know, something that is a brick and mortar shop is signage. So if you run an actual brick and mortar shop or a store, or even if you just have a, uh, an actual office that you Uh, that you rent out or you lease or something that you work from signage is another great brand touch point it's just a simple way that we can actually display our logo 
and maybe a, a short tagline and some of the services that we do for all to see. So it's important to when creating signage, when signage is something that is going to be a part of your overall brand uh, touchpoint strategy, you want to ensure that it's done in such a way that, again, is uniform with your overall brand identity, with the way that your logo is designed, with the color scheme and the palette. And it doesn't deviate away from that. Now, sometimes this can be a little bit tricky. I've actually designed some signage in the past. And sometimes there's like city ordinances and different requirements of the area that people are working within. Like you can't use certain colors. It varies from city to city. So sometimes you're a little bit stuck to work within whatever standards they give you. However, it's that's why it's actually pretty important to make sure that you develop a brand identity system. So for example, a logo design that is flexible enough to be able to work in a variety of different environments. So for example, if you were to uh, open up a shop in a city that only allows you to, uh, to incorporate like letter cut or uh, laser cut or laser etched uh, version of your logo, you wouldn't be allowed to use any sort of color. Again, this does happen. Some cities don't allow you to use like big bright glowing signs. Um, so at that point in time it would be important for your brand identity and your, your logo design and all the different various elements that surround that logo design would be very important for those things to be flexible enough to be able to adapt to that situation so that you don't have to compromise, you know, the readability or the style or the layout of that logo and of your name to be able to adapt to that situation. So, for example, if you're working on a logo design at that point, it'd be really important to have a all black and all white version of that logo, because in that instance, you would be able to use it for your signage. So again, uh, that may not um, be relevant to you if you don't actually have a brick and mortar shop or if you don't have an office building that you work out of. But if you ever do, um, if you ever grow to a, a place where maybe an office building is required, even if you don't expect, even if it's not a retail shop and you just have clients there from time to time, you'd be surprised at how much, uh, how much of a difference and an impact that having these things well-designed and well-planned out uh, these touch points, um, how big of an impact these touch points can have on people's perception and trust in the brand that you're trying to build. Okay, so product design is the next brand touch point I wanted to touch on. So even if you don't necessarily have a product that you are having physically manufactured for you, uh, even if you just sell digital products, Product design is still something that is very relevant, uh, even if you're only selling online. So again, if you're selling a digital product, it still is a product and it still has a design to it. So Scott Herberst, um, the director of industrial design for a company called Slice, said to make the complex simple. That is design's greatest contribution to an increasingly chaotic world. So even if you are not actually manufacturing a product, again, even if it's something digital or even if it's a book or something else that isn't necessarily, again, not something that you're manufacturing, design is incredibly important into how it is created and how it is delivered. So if your brand personality is one that is more fun and lighthearted or it's geared towards children or geared towards uh, mothers or geared, uh, geared towards, you know, entrepreneurs or whoever your target customer is. 
every product that you design and the way that it is designed should be done in such a way as to reflect not only your brand essence, but the promise that you make to that specific uh, target customer that you are trying to reach. And this can come out in many different ways. This is, can come out from if you're like, for example, if you're doing an online course, the way that that course is shot, the content that is included, the way that is it is structured, and even the length of the videos, keeping in mind their schedules, can be done, again, keeping in mind your overall brand strategy in that specific brand touchpoint. So we'll see this a lot as well into the way uh, like even something as well-known as Apple products, a lot of times you can just take a look at an Apple product without ever seeing the logo and know instantly that's an Apple product. It's because they've become synonymous with a specific style or way of designing something. And a lot of times you can see other companies come along and try to mimic that style. Um, so that's the type of thing that you want to do when it comes to designing your different products. So again, anything that anything from a digital product, a, a PDF download, or you know, a free ebook, all the different elements, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be something that you sell. It's something that you give away for free. Whatever those different things are, those products that you're creating should have not only a consistency among themselves, but a consistency with your overall brand strategy that you're trying to create. Okay, and on a similar note similar to product design is packaging. So packaging is very important. Obviously the product design is what's inside the box or what people are technically purchasing and packaging is the way that it is presented. So again, I keep going back to digital products because it's something that a lot of people are offering today. It's something that um, you know a lot of people do and don't necessarily do it from a branding perspective. Like, for example, some of the best online courses I've seen out there from a branding perspective oftentimes are displayed as though they're a physical product. They're given some sort of physical appearance because when it, become, when it comes to purchasing something, purchasing is very much a, an emotional uh, – it's an emotional action. It's something that people do because they want to solve a problem or they want to meet a need or there's something specific that they're trying to do as the purchase of that product. One of the problems, however, with purchasing something online is it's a dramatically different experience to buying something at the store. When you go to the store, you want a box of Cheerios, you hold that box, that physical box in your hand, and you put it in the cart, you check out, and you take it with you. It's an experience, the visceral experience of actually getting something tangible uh, for your money, something that you actually buy, not the same on a digital product. If it's not handled well, it can feel a little bit uh, like nothing more than just downloading a file. And, you know, downloading a file for, you know, $100 or $200 or $300 is, again, it's all down to an emotional experience. So a lot of times what people do is they'll create a kind of brand packaging that goes along with digital products. I've seen this quite often with a lot of those who, who have who've handled it really well, who have package what they're creating in such a way as to make it uh, just to help express the fact that what they're purchasing is comparable to something that you would physically that you would get in a physical form so for example again going back to the online course example a lot of times people will show it with a stack of cds and with a box that it would all come in because really that was is what you would be getting if you were purchasing purchasing this 10 years ago you'd be getting like 
CDs or even, you know, if it was further back, you might be getting cassette tapes. So the idea there is to create an overall packaging that fits the product itself, uh, but gives that it, that gives people the perception that they that they are actually buying something of value, which in essence they are. Uh, it's just packaging is so influential in the way that people actually purchase and interact with and trust brands. It's still something that's being incorporated into a digital form. So another example as to why packaging is so important. You go down to your local grocery store and you'll see, for example, Lucky Charms. And then you'll see, again, I'm used sticking to the cereal example, but Lucky Charms and then a the knockoff brand right next to it. Now that Lucky Charms brand, a lot of times, will charge one, two, and even $3 more than the knockoff brand. So the question is why? Because for the most part, the ingredients to those two products are close to the same. So why is the price so different? The reason is because you're paying, again, largely for the brand. There's a perception. It's an emotional choice that people are making. There's a perception, an attachment to that Lucky Charms brand that people have a, a certain expectation of that brand because they've bought it before, they've tasted it before. They know if I buy that brand, it's going to be what I want. Whereas that other brand, I'm not so sure even though in the end it might be the same or comparable. So that's the power that building an effective brand can have, not only in produce, in creating a user experience or creating a customer experience that people continue to come back for time and time again, but create it in such a way as to where you're actually able to charge more for a brand that you offer, a brand that you created, even if there's products that are comparable out on the market. So again, that's specific to packaging, but packaging is a powerful touch point. It's the actual thing that in a lot of ways sells your products and services. So those are the la that's the last of all the touch points I wanted to cover today. There's actually a lot of other touch points I could cover, but what I wanted to do was just kind of cover the gamut of some of the main ones. And I'll kind of underscore one more time. I know I've, I've said it a couple of times throughout, but the biggest takeaway and the biggest lesson to keep in mind when it comes to crafting all of your brand touch points is that first and foremost, you have, you have to have solidified what is the unique differentiating benefit of your brand? What is it that you offer through, the, through your products and services? What is it uh, that you offer through those products and services that nobody else can or does? What is it that your competition and others in the market are failing to do that you're doing well? And it is that point that you want to remain consistent throughout all of your brand touch points. And that's going to be reflected not only in the, des the design and the visual display of those touch points, but the way that they are created in such a, you know, but the way that people actually interact with them. So again, that's going to dictate the way that your website is laid out and the type of content that you provide on your website that's going to dictate whether or not you have letterhead or whether you have business cards or your email signature, all the different things that we have discussed up to this point. The biggest takeaway and the biggest lesson is to remember that maintaining a consistency throughout all of these is what is, what is going to help all of those work together to be that much more powerful for establishing uh, a really powerful brand loyalty in the hearts and in the minds of your clients and customers. 
So I hope you found this useful. I did just want to take a little bit of time to go through brand touch points, what they are, and hopefully give you some ideas if you're not doing some of these. If you're, you know, for example, if you don't have business cards or letterhead, you may want to try. Hopefully this just kind of sparks some ideas and some ways that you can start branching out in some different directions to help to begin creating a little bit of brand recognition uh, as you begin to, as you continue to uh, build your platform. So as always, if you have a question for the Rightly Design Show, feel free to call 888-727-1496. Again, that's 888-727-1496. And I'm always happy to take your questions and consider uh, answering them for a full-length episode. Also, I'd like to just remind you one more time, if you haven't had a chance to jump in there and take the brand assessment, uh, that's still available to you absolutely free of charge. And you can go to rightlydesigned.com slash assessment to take that assessment absolutely free. So again, I'd like to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the program today. And we'll see you next week. Enjoying the Rightly Designed show? Please consider taking a quick moment to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the channel of your choice. Visit rightlydesigned.com show for links to these channels and more.